Well, good to see you guys back. Um, a brief note, and that is next week we will not be here. We're going to be in Illinois visiting our grandchild and our son and daughter-in-law. But you and will. First. Yes, I did that for my that's wife's actually sake. Actually, honest. It's very honest. I like that because that's really what grandparents do. Yes, you got it. You someday will be there, too. But that doesn't mean class is canceled. I actually have a guest speaker next week for you um, that you would should enjoy, and that is Steve is going to come do a Q&A on parenting. So the things that I haven't told you, you want to know the real secrets, you want to know what the truth is, um, write those down. You know, be thinking through the week. Make yourself a note right now to, to, you know what, think of questions to ask Steve. This is a rare opportunity to specifically hone in on a subject with him while your mind is tuned in on parenting because you've been to the class. We'll have, uh, what, seven weeks or something like that, six weeks we've had already. These are, are things that uh, are going to stick in your brain. It's going to be nice to have to uh, be able to use it for uh, to learn from him what he has to say. So... With that, we're going to get started uh, talking about the conscience and embracing biblical methods. This is a, a fun lesson. I, I do really enjoy this one, and, and I hope you guys, too. I hope it is something that you remember well. Remember from last week, I'll just review our chart because this is something I want to just keep putting in your brains more and more and more. So we're going to go right through this chart. Up here is your heart. Now, what is it that we have in our heart is an overflow, Right. We have an overflow of the heart, an abundance of the heart. And what does that cause down here? What comes out of that overflow? What we, what we say and what we do. So, if we have in our heart some behavior that is an ungodly behavior, what will the overflow come out into? It'll be a negative of some sort, right? So we'll say, in this case, uh, cheating. That's what will come out of it. And so we know that if this is in the heart, you're going to get results out of it. Our desire is to have godly behavior. So instead of that, you would have honesty over here. Because that is what comes out of what might be in the heart there. There we go. But as we look at behavior, we interpret behavior based upon what's in the heart, right? So we look at the, the cheating. We say, hey, there's something in the heart that's causing that. It's an ungodly behavior. We look at that and we say, okay, this is where we need to get into this child's life or into our own lives as we look at Deuteronomy 6. And there's only one way to change ungodly behavior to godly behavior. And we had that through... The cross and repentance through asking forgiveness is only now going through the cross. And this is what we do with our children. We, we show them the cross. We show them that they cannot do it on their own. We cannot do it on our own. We need the cross. We need Christ to change our ungodly behavior to godly behavior. If we try to go from here to here, just within this box of behavior, this is our box of behavior, we just only deal with behavior, we're going to, we may change it. We may use bribes. We may use some other type of form of, uh, of changing it, but it's not going to change the heart. And when you don't change the heart, remember this line? If you change the behavior without changing the heart, what do you have? Hypocrisy, right. Ace. 
I'll have to work on that one. So you have hypocrisy there. This is what you have. I'm trying to, I keep reminding you of this because it is so important to remember this as we think through the process of parenting, how we want to make that change, how we want to work on these issues, not down here, not just in a box of behavior, but thinking of the, what it is that's driving the heart behavior behind that. So I'm going to probably review that a couple more times. Now, we know that all men and women, all children, have the law written on their hearts. <laughs> Scripture tells us that. Romans 2, verse 14 and 15 says, Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. Scripture says that everyone is born with an innate sense of, uh, of understanding that the law written on their hearts. The conscience is a means by which it shows them that they are wrong. We think of uh, Jiminy Cricket, right? Uh, let your conscience be your guide. Well, actually, our conscience is often seared, and it isn't a good guide, but that's the, the thought process there. It's, the conscience is there to distinguish between right and wrong behavior, between good and evil. That, that is what the, the mind is, does, and according to the Romans 2 passage, God has created it that way. Back in that verse, notice, though, in Romans 2, it talks about it's the unsaved. It's the Gentiles who have this coded on their hearts. It's not just, oh, you're saved. and You're, you're, you're a Christian, therefore you're suddenly going to have this. No, all humans have it encoded in their hearts. And, and you see this in your own children. As you watch them, you catch them doing something wrong, and immediately they're going to start offering excuses. Their mind already was thinking about, I know this was wrong, but they've got some reason that they were doing it. They have that encoded already into their minds. Even a toddler is told not to touch something. Don't touch that. What do they do? They'll look at you as they're touching. We're talking kids that can't even talk. I remember our, our kids doing that. They're looking. Uh, are you going to mean it? You said don't. I know no. That's why little kids, no, no. Our grandson, we're gonna, that's one of the things that he's, he's saying now is no, no, no. Well, he doesn't even know what it means somewhat, but he knows that no means don't do that. It is already there in his, in his mind. They know it's wrong. Their conscience is accusing them, even at a young, young age, that what they're doing, it is, for some reason, incorrect. It's written in their hearts. And there's some biblical examples of this that we, uh, we can look at. Jesus did a great job of kind of taking people to their consciences. What is it in your heart that is, uh, is going on that uh, we want to review to be able to, to, uh, to do that? Let me give one more set of notes here to pass that back to Yesenia. And, oops, last page there. So with that, we have... Um, First Matthew chapter 21, there's a whole section here in Matthew 21 where, where we're seeing examples of, of Christ doing this. Uh, starting at verse 28, we've got the parable of the two sons. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first. This is Christ talking to the, uh, the Pharisees there. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, came to the first. He says, son, go work today in my vineyard. Um, and uh, he said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted it, and he went. Then he came, and the second one said, likewise, he, he answered, said, I will go, sir, but he did not. Which of the two did the will of his father? So he's asking this question, and they said to him, the first. 
Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you the way of righteousness. You did not believe him, but tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when they saw it, uh, you did not afterwards relent and believe him. So they, the one young man, he went obeyed in word, but not in deed. The other one obeyed in deed and not in word. Then he goes to the next parable of the landowner. This is the, the tenants that are on the land there. And uh, he sends these guys out, and, and they're, uh, they're rejecting him, and they kill him. And they, uh, he sends his servant, and they stone him. And they send out another one, eventually sending his son. Oh, surely they'll respect him. And they killed him, right? So with that one, they said to him um, how wicked this man is. And then uh, Christ brings him to Scripture. Then after that, verse 45, he's, he's now taking this and he's asking them questions, just a, a questioning process. He says, now when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. So they saw what he was saying and they ah, you're talking about me here. And it says that their consciences were smitten. So they recognized that it was about them. He appeals to their conscience. This is where you're, what is right and wrong. You know that is what he was saying. He quotes from the Psalms there in verse 42. Um, he uh, says that, uh, have you ever read scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. Is it marvelous in our eyes? So they knew as he's talking to scripture that, that he was talking about them. People are competent to judge because the law is written on their hearts. That's how we know. Oh, we know somebody's a murderer. They need to have something done to them. There's laws. There's regulations. There's rules that are set up. And there is a, a conscience that says, you, if you don't do this, you're going to have a, uh, a result. Uh, Ted, in the book, um, he kind of gives you, you'll read this, uh, I think, this week, an example of this. So here's a, a, what's going on here. Um, recently, after worship service, a man approached me in a state of great agitation. He had observed a young boy stealing money from the offering plate. Uh, after the church service, uh, he felt a genuine concern for this boy. So Ted says, I suggested that he tell the boy's father so the child could benefit from his father's correction and intervention. Good move. That was a good thing to do. Well, a few minutes later, the, a boy and his father came and asked to see him in his study. He uh, said yes. And so they came in. The child produced $2 that he said he had taken from the offering plate. He was in tears, professing his sorrow, asking for forgiveness. And Ted began to speak to him. Charlie, I'm so glad that someone saw what you did. What a wonderful mercy of God that you didn't get away with this. God has spared you the hardness of heart that comes when you sin and you get away with it. Don't you see how gracious God has been to you? The boy looks at him and nods and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Charlie, he continues, he says, this is why Jesus came. Jesus came because of people like you and your father and me that have hearts that want to steal. You see, we're so bold and brazen that we would even steal from, you're, you're so brazen, you would even steal from the offering plate that people have given to God. But God has a love for wicked boys and men that, that he sent his son to, to change them from the inside out, make them people who are givers and not takers. At this point, Charlie broke down in sobs and drew out another $20 bill from his pocket. Okay? He had begun the brief conversation, prepared to go through all the motions and give back the $2, but something in his heart happened. He heard him speak of the mercy of God and wickedness to sinners. There was no accusation in his tone. Neither his father or Ted knew that there was more money. But what happened? Charlie's conscience was smitten by the gospel. 
He had said something that struck a chord that resonated with this young larcenous heart, and the gospel hit its mark in his conscience. And that's the kind of thing where, where we want to use Scripture so it's not, you naughty kid, you did this. We want it to be so strong that eventually the con- their conscience gets hit by this. It's the conviction of the Word of God. The alternative is to give them a law that they can keep, and they're all within this box, and then they end up being Pharisees. where they, they, It's a lesser standard that doesn't require grace. It doesn't require them casting themselves on Christ. Instead, it's a, a real a sense for them to see their utter need for God's strength here. They can't rely on their own resources. Hypocrisy and self-righteousness is the result of giving kids a keepable law telling them to be good. You know, here's the standard, and you, you need to, to be at this level. You see the conversation that really helped here was, hey, it's, it's you and me. We have hearts. Here's the, the, the stealing that was going on, and it's something in your heart that, that you wanted to take something. I have similar things, and then he took them to the cross. Great example how he did that, appealing to his, their conscience. That's what Christ did in these uh, passages of these uh, parables. He dealt with the root problem, not just the surface issues that we're showing for these Pharisees. I mean, they're um, talking about different issues of not washing their hands before eating, some of the ceremonial things. And he goes back and says, no, that's not the issue. Christ says, it's your hearts that are evil here. Our task as parents is to get them to see from Scripture where their heart has sin in it and to seek forgiveness. That's what we're really trying to get them to do, to deal with the issues between them and God, not so much with them and you. As you're transitioning them from a 2-year-old to a 12-year-old, you're getting them to see in that continuum that this is where you need to be, where it's, it's Christ that, that you are responsible to, not, uh, not to me eventually. Um, there's some other examples, Luke 7, verse 36 and following. This is where the woman is just crying and weeping at Jesus' feet because she recognizes the sinner that she is. And uh, Simon had been the, the guy who owned the house, and, and Christ says, hey, you know, you didn't wash my feet when I came in. Um, he appeals to Simon's conscience because Simon's asking what's going on here, and he says that, would you, would you have more love than this individual? Because she just loved him and was weeping. Because he didn't have that in his conscience. It's a God-given adjudicator of what's right and wrong. That's what our conscience is. Luke 10, verse 25, the story of the Good Samaritan as we know it. In that same one, Christ goes and appeals to, their, to the man's conscience. Which one was a right neighbor? He asks a bunch of questions. And in that parable... Well, the, the man goes and changes his mind as to who was his neighbor. Remember that is, you know, who is my neighbor? Because that's what the story was about. And it really was anyone around him who had a need. Christ put it into the guy's conscience of this is who it is. The man wanted to justify himself, and Christ avoided that. He took him back, no, you're, you're not. He indicted him with his own correct answer. So you want to move your children from a need to see, to see their spiritual need to, to move their conscience. Aaron, would you turn the air up? It's starting to feel that heat down so we're cooler. I know you're not used to having air conditioning in your car, at least. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 21. Similar thing here where Peter wants to know the limits of forgiveness. You know, how many times should I forgive my brother? And basically the response was, if you can think of an outer limit of forgiveness, then you don't want to understand what it means to forgive someone. So it's, it's where the conscience is at in these ways. In that case, Peter was moved to see his need. 
So with your kids, the whole idea when they do something wrong is not to get into a debate with them. It's, it's not a debate over what's right and wrong. It's a debate really of where their conscience is at. Is at. Things like an obje objectionable TV program. You know, your kids are 10, 12 years old and they want to watch a TV program and you know, it's objectionable. Well, you can either say, well, here's our rules in our house and what we're going to do, or you can take them in to Scripture. Ephesians 5, verse 3 uh, through 7. That uh, would be a good place. Uh, let me get you that one. 3, 5 through 7. Uh, make sure I got the right one there. Ah, Ephesians 5, 3 through 7. My dyslexia picked up there. That's better. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So whole verses in there talk about those things. Well, that's where you take your kids to Scripture rather than you having to say, no, and we don't do this in our house. You're, you're now saying, well, let's look what Scripture says and let's study this uh, until you know, it's the right thing for them. Again, is it a Deuteronomy 6 issue? Well, Mom and Dad are always watching these shows that are really whatever, and so they're saying it's acceptable with you, but it's not with me. Well, now it's going to be an issue. What was in your heart that allowed you to, to do those things? These are, these are good questions for all of us. So you're going to ask questions to evaluate where your children are at. It, it, asking them the questions will help them to self-evaluate. You're going to look at the issues in the lens of the Word of God, and that's where we, we're looking at the behavior, and what is it that's going to be a scripture related to that? Dealing with matters of the tongue, James chapter 3. It goes all over about the tongue, how it's a, an evil, how it's like a wildfire. It sets on, on fire a course of nature. It burns up a whole forest. Or it's like a, uh, a, uh, there's all kinds of animals can be tamed. The birds of the beast and the, of the field and, and fish of the sea can all be tamed, but the tongue can no man tame. It's like salt water and bitter are coming out of the same fountain. That whole James chapter 3 just talks about it. That's a great place to talk to your kids when you've got issues of them saying things that are bad or being unkind to their brother or sister. Hey, let's look at James chapter 3. If they get this constantly, this is where you're going to. They're going to say, ah, Scripture has answers because now we're dealing with what it is that's in the heart because God can change that heart. We're, we have a reason now to take them to the cross. Fighting. You got fighting going on? James chapter 4. I mean, that goes through, why do you fight among yourselves? You, you lust, you desire to have, you don't have it yet, you, you don't obtain it, and you're not praying. And there's a lot of things related to that. James chapter 4 is great. Or compromises with the world a little bit later in James. It, it talks in there about uh, you can't have both the world and Christ. Um, you have to choose between the two. Unkind words, Ephesians 4.29. That says... Uh, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that you may impart grace to the hearers. Well, that's a great place when, when your kids are just being unkind to each other. Take them right there. Well, what, is, what does Ephesians 4 say? And this takes work on your part, doesn't it? To know Scripture or to go in and look it up. So it could be that you know, something happens and you run into your office and you know, look in your concordance or you look it up online you're on your phone. Okay, what is some, you know, use Bible Gateway. You're looking up, I, I know a Bible verse, something about that. You look up a subject. Hey, if that's what it takes, tell them, I'm going to be back in five minutes to deal with it. Just sit right here and you're doing some quick studying. I mean, you could do that because now it's, it's the Word of God. The whole idea is eventually, Deuteronomy 6, it's in your heart first. And if you're not used to doing that, you don't know where to turn in Scripture, then find the ways.
It's the word of God that smites the conscience. That's what the Holy Spirit does, and that's eventually what we want them to do. The Holy Spirit will smite their conscience to the point of salvation, saying, you need to be saved. That's what you're missing. A list of all the rules. Okay, we're not going to say these words, or if you say the word shut up, we're going to have to put a dollar in the shut up jar. I mean, where does that get here? You know, that, that doesn't solve the issue of the heart. It really it drives it back into the right places here. It doesn't deal with the heart. Paul Tripp, in his Age of Opportunity, uh, he wrote, We cannot and must not reduce godly living down to a set of rules. And that's so often what the Christians do. The key, though, is for you to know the Word of God. An appeal to the conscience now is not guilt manipulation. So when we see this cheating versus honesty, it's not just guilting them into changing. No, it's we have to look at what the issue is here. That's yielding true self-conviction. The child's still going to feel bad about what they did, but we're after true repentance. You know, it's, it's good for them to realize, I didn't do what was right. Okay, with that, I'm going to turn the corner here and talk about the moral warehouse. This is, this is a lot of fun stuff. Um, the company I work for, we built a new warehouse, a 75,000-square-foot building, and uh, we, we outfitted this building at the very beginning with racks. We've got just a lot of inventory. So we built racks, aisles and aisles of racks. So I'll pass this around if you want to see it. But basically, this is the building here. And I took a picture of it just for this lesson. I got up on a forklift or something up there, and I, I took a picture of this. Because it's, it's really the way your child would come to you when they're, when they're a child, where they've got almost like Costco or Lowe's. And you've got an aisle for plumbing, an aisle for electrical, a file for hardware, a file an aisle, all these different aisles there, and there's just bays and bays and racks that are sitting with nothing there. It's your job as parents to put things on these shelves, and some of them might be on multiple shelves or multiple aisles, but the Word of God is the best place for this, and you can set up rules. If you do this, then this will happen, or you can put up principles from the Word of God. This stems from Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So not that a child has no sin in them. It's not a blank slate. I'm not talking about that. Make sure you understand here. It's not like a child is empty and, and there is no sin and, and you're then putting things into it. This is talking about their conscience, the thing, things that they're going to act and react upon. We're going to get to this a little bit later. So different, different things we want to put in there. I call these the six levels of respect, really living out Philippians 2, 3, and 4, which is let each of you esteem one another more important than themselves. And, and that's going to be a guide here for this whole thing. So the first one is a respect for authority. Respect for authority. This is something that we should teach our kids. So here's an aisle that's on, in Lowe's or in, in Home Depot or, or Costco, and it says on it, respect for authority. And it's up to you to put things on the shelves there. Well, you're driving down the street, and there's a stoplight. That is an authority, isn't it? The government has set up a rule that if the light is red, your car has to stop, and you have to wait till it turns green. If it's green, you can go. There is an authority that is behind that, which is the government who made the rules. So your kids have to know. They learn. And we taught our kids in the car early on, what is it, uh, red means stop, yellow means wait, and green means go, go, go. So we would sing that, and they, uh, those are just the little ways, and I would sometimes fudge yellow means speed up or whatever that is. <laughs> Um, you see a sign, don't walk on the grass. There's an authority, whoever owns that building or that property, they put up, and they are the authority over that. Uh, teachers, 
God put teachers in their lives to be an authority to them. And we need to teach them a respect for authority in doing that. I, uh, my son, I think I shared briefly earlier about the History Day project. And through that whole thing, because his project wasn't accepted within the time frame because he missed the deadline, we had to work through that and to teach him how to respect his teacher amidst something that was really just a, a miscommunication. It, rather than me as a dad coming in and, and telling that teacher, what are you doing and why aren't you allowing this? Why, you know, he put all this work into it. It was a, no, Daniel, you know what? If that's what the teacher said, you can go to appeal to them, but let's be respectful to your teacher. The example that we can display to them is, is most important there. This will then translate into all the way into their bosses. When they grow up, they'll show up on time. It's, it's so fun to watch my daughters go off to school, uh, to work every day. They have jobs now in, in, the, in the work field. And my office is right next to the front door. And sure enough, at about 20 till, they leave. And they're always out on time. And they're there. They're leaving within, with 15 minutes to get to work, but five minutes early. They've just done that because it's ingrained to them the respect for authority. Their bosses are their authority. They want to be there on time. This is your job as parents to train your kids in this way. And again, Deuteronomy 6, uh, dad's late, he's going to be late to work, and next thing you know, you're extra late. These are things that we need to, to teach to our kids. Romans 13, 1 through 3, uh, talks all about the government and, and how we should respect the authorities that are placed above us. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Um, Oh, maybe I can't, Romans 13. Uh, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except for God, but authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And it talks about rulers, and God sets up rulers. Well, you want to take your kids and train them that. Hey, these are rules. God has put these leaders, even a guy like Obama or Trump or Hillary, whoever is our president, there is an authority over us, and we have to show respect to that authority. I listed, uh, I think, the first Peter passage there, too, is, a, is another good one. So that's the first one. A level of respect is authority. The second one is respect for parents. Respect for parents. They only have one mom and dad. So, you know, calling you Sue and Bill, uh, you know, that's, that was a big thing back in the 80s and 90s where there was really a lack of respect for parents. What do they call you, mom and dad? They only have one mom and dad. There's other Sues and Bills or whatever your names are, but teaching them that this is something you get to do because we are your parents. You call us mom and dad. Um, the problem, though, is often with the parents in, this, in, these, in these kind of scenarios. Uh, you have to establish expectations of respect. Uh, this is the... Um, the main tool of bringing them to God is through this level of respect, if they respect you well. Well, do they demand things of you? Do they say, Mom, I want some milk. Go get me some milk. Or, I don't like the red cup. I want the green cup. What are they doing? They're challenging your authority at the dinner table or wherever it is because they want what they want, and they think that you're a slave for them because you've maybe even set that up. And we've seen other uh, uh, parents in our families. Uh, and it's just, it's really unfortunate. You're watching that kid's just driving and demanding everything of, that ch- of their parents, and the parents, oh, yes, my little center of the universe, I'll do everything for you. That's terrible. Well, that, that just, it hurts because they don't respect them. Hitting their parents. I mean, that should be, dads, if, if your child hits your wife, I mean, I would make that a very serious offense and sit that kid down and deal with it. I mean, that is completely unacceptable. And, and go to them and say, look, this is completely unacceptable. You are not showing respect for the most important woman in your life. Why are you doing that? Uh, stop that one immediately. Respect for parents. Third one is respect for age. 
And uh, there's many vehicles to do this, um, many different ways. I know with us, we taught our kids to call, call older people Mr. and Mrs. It's like, oh, man, I don't want to be called that. I'm not old. You know, that'd be terrible. Mr. Bissell. I mean, that's, that's, it just seems so awkward. Um, Mr. Valdez. I mean, you have a child call. No, did you call me Sal? Well, what does that do? It says that, that we're equal. We're pars. We're, we're even in authority with each other. We just call the same name. The name Mr. and Mrs., it applies some authority in it. So we use that as a vehicle. You don't have to. There's nothing in the Bible that says, Thou shalt call me Mr. Oweiler. But there is Leviticus uh, 19, verse 32. And this is one of my favorite passages. I've memorized this. No, I haven't memorized it. Um, this is one that I like to use and pull out whenever I really want to pull rank. Leviticus. Ah, I thought I had that in here. I think that's the Old Testament, isn't it? <laughs> Leviticus 19.32. Okay, get ready for this one. You ready? It says, You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. Well, what was God doing to the Israelites back then? He was saying that when there's somebody that's older, age has not made you equal with them. They have lived a lot more life. They have been through a lot more experience. That is wisdom that God has given them over years. So there needs to be respect, whatever level it is. Same thing with older people. Well, you're, you're walking into a, uh, a restaurant, and there's an old person walking in. What do you do? You open the door for them. Why? It's a respect for age. You let them walk ahead. You make sure they have a clear path. That is a, something we need to teach to our kids. Another way we did this, if, if we would be talking with our friends at church and another uh, one of our children came up and they needed to deal with something well what do they do mommy mommy dad i need this no we said that is unacceptable we will not allow you to interrupt us because what that says is you are more important than this person that i'm talking to so for you to demonstrate respect to this older person what you do is you do not interrupt them and so we would explain this to them so instead of saying daddy 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 they would just put their hand on our hip and, and we knew that that signal means that they want to talk to us. We would put our hand back on there so that recognized it, and we would go through this scenario, explain, okay, I recognize you're there. When I get a break in the conversation, I will stop talking to this individual and talk to you. So you're talking to somebody, and all of a sudden your kid comes up, and they put their hand on, and you're still talking. And people say, that kid didn't interrupt you. And you stop, can you excuse me from the conversation for a second? Yes, what do you need? Uh, my brother just jumped, fell out of the tree, and he's dying. No, whatever it is. <laughs> no, there's... If there's an emergency, but you can see the vehicle. We're teaching respect here. And what does it do? It says that these other people, I am willing to put down my needs and my desires for other people. And that's what life is about. That's creating the right kind of heart where they're doing it for love for others. How different they're going to be than their peers. I mean, what this turns heads, and this gives you gospel opportunity with people. It's just amazing because... Your kids didn't, you know, they, they were very quiet. And they were, how did you do that? Well, we just we take the parenting class, and, and we've learned that we want to work on our kids' heart, not just on their behavior. And, and this is one of the heart things that we're working on, just to get them to, to recognize this. Saying hello. I mean, that was the one that we had to work on one of our sons. He just would not say hello to the UPS driver. And he just would have him in his arm and say hello to the UPS driver. Just turn his head around and put it in your shoulder. It's like... Okay, we're working on that. Thank you for the package. I'll sign for it. And we go deal with a son who wouldn't obey. We had to build that. But that child now is probably one of my best evangelists. He has learned how to go and share the gospel with others and how to look them in the eye and talk to them and really listen to their needs, to draw out of them questions. It's like, Daniel, I wish I had your wisdom. 
because he's really learned that. And uh, that's one of the ways we did it was a respect for age. That's what drove that into his heart. Just simple thing of, of teaching him, no, you can't get away with disrespecting somebody. You're next to somebody. I ask you to say hello to them. As an old, older adult, you need to say hello to them. It's, it's very disrespectful not to do that. What you're saying is, I don't want to. I'm more important than them. I'm just going to ignore you. And you're in a conflict right then, Dad. And so what do you have to say? Excuse me. Either you, you don't deal with it then if the situation is not right. But when you get home, say, hey, son, we dealt with this issue. You didn't say hello again. We've been working on this. We need to have some consequences. What did we say the consequences were last time? We're going to get that in another two or three lessons. Mm, consequences. Okay, number four here, respect for peers. Here's another aisle on our, our um, grocery store, whatever you want to call it. Respect for peers. This is, is it, it goes without saying, but it's, it's, think of the value of this. If they really, truly do respect their peers, other ones that they're with, their siblings, they have to know, and we taught our kids this, look, you two are sitting at the dinner table and you're being mean to each other, whatever. You're going to be best friends in life. And we want that to happen. We're going to make that happen. So get over it. And you've got to start loving your brother or loving your sister. And we had times where we wouldn't allow two kids to sit next to each other because they always were laughing too much or they'd do something. But they learned to respect it. Now, you know, one moves away and everyone's, oh, and they all want to go and visit because their hearts are knit together very closely. We were very specific about developing this respect for peers. I challenge you to do this. Other places you can do this is respect for those with disabilities. And uh, our, our, some of our kids, had, we were around other ones who were in um, wheelchairs. And, man, it was just great to see their hearts. We told them what that was about and how there was a, an opportunity there to serve. And so now whenever they see those with disabilities, they want to serve them. Um, obviously, when they get older, the words that they say are, are so important on Facebook. I mean, people can just tear each other down and say something. Well, how does that start? That starts way back early where you don't, let them do those kind of things to the friends. And we had three things that we would say whenever they would want to say something to somebody else. Is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? Is it true? You know, are you, what you're going to say about that person, it, it, it's, it's, is it true or not? Check yourself first. Is it kind? Well, if it's true, but it's not kind, you can't say it. That, that's wrong to say that. And it might be true, it might be kind, but is it really necessary to bring something like that up? And by keeping those three terms in front of their minds, it was a good way to, to get them to have the right way to deal with people when they're older, so they don't just go and say things about people, and even able to their face or to other people. This also involves a view of, of sex and purity. We worked very hard with them on that, and we set up scenarios for them to try to teach them modesty, and whenever we saw immodesty, we would try to use that as an example. Hey, why do we do this? Why did God give us bodies that we cover up? And so you, you talk about sin as they get older so they understand what that is and shame. But uh, that's, again, looking at what's behind it so that they would be uh, prepared for it and have the right attitudes. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, let each of you esteem one another more important than themselves. Now, this didn't mean every time anybody came over, they had to share all their toys. Because, yeah, that's great because you're being nice to your friends and, and we're respecting our peers. No, if there were friends that were coming over who were brutal on their toys, we'd tell them, hey, cousin so-and-so is coming over. Let's put away your good toys. You know what? You don't have to share these. You don't have to let these get broken because we see that they get broken. Let's not be foolish in what we're doing with friends. So we would teach them that. And sometimes we had to practically lock their room from other kids who we knew were coming over so they wouldn't go in there. It was, it was crazy. 
there's a lot of ways you can do that to, to teach a respect for their peers. In the end, it's, it's all about the heart and how they're going to have a heart for others. Respect for property is the next one, respect for property. Well, Exodus 20, verse 15 says, thou shalt not steal. There's one property of other people. Um, you know, and it's not so much the property itself, but it's the preciousness of others. It's other people's property that we're respecting. That's the value to it. And that's why we caught our kids when they're at uh, 31 Flavors and, and they come up to the window and they're looking at the ice cream, not to just put their hands on the glass. Or at church, the front door, you don't push with the glass because somebody coming behind you will open the door and they see these ugly fit print, fingerprints there and they have to deal with what you created as ugliness to them. So we would point out things that they've done and we say, you know what, let's not put our hands here. We put our hands just a little bit higher on the handle so you don't grab uh, door jams. Uh, you, you wash your hands, you dry them good before you touch other things that other people are going to touch. You make a mess, you clean it up. That's all a part of respecting property. There's a purpose behind it now because there's others coming behind. So we're doing it not because it's just the right, it's a good thing to do. It's because there's a preciousness of others behind this. We care about them. I know those that have been in the class before, we talked about a, a classic way. And uh, you're going to remember this face, okay? Right here, look at, look at my face here. <laughs> Next time you're at the grocery store and you buy some groceries, you, you go in there with your cart and you grab some groceries, you come back out and you, you take the groceries out of that cart, you put them into your car, what do you do with that cart? I'm just going to put it over here up on the curb, or I'm going to put it in this parking space. I want you to see my face now. It's going to remind you. I've had people come up years later, I still see your face, Mr. O'Weather. <laughs> We're Christians. We don't want to block somebody else's parking space. You know how frustrating that is when you go in to pull into a space? That was somebody like you who did that, if you've done that before. Okay, so we're Christians, and Christians have a heart for others. We have a preciousness of others in our heart that says, I want to do the right thing that's going to show I care for others because Christ has redeemed me. I don't deserve what I have. So how do you, how do you, uh, how do, you do that? And a great example is to take that shopping cart and put it up in the front of the store or in the cart lane that they gave you instead of just leaving it there. So my face now is going to come up every time you deal with that shopping cart. whole idea is why you're doing this. It's because other people... We want to treat them, Philippians 2, 3, and 4, more important than ourselves. And you get asked sometimes, you know, why? And you, moms, you've got three kids, and you're trying to jostle all this with the cart. That's a lot of work. You know, you go to the grocery store with I your... Th- next to the cart place. Smart lady. Okay, <laughs> see? She, she, stri- it means I park further, but I always... there. <laughs> uh, the church property. There's another good context. So the kids are here at church. We taught our kids, you don't run at church because there's a lot of reasons. One, this is God's house, and we don't want to disrespect it. But also because there's old people sometimes walking, running around here. Walking around. Old people walk. <laughs> old people running around. And what would happen, and we would tell them, what would happen if you accidentally cut right in front of some old person, and they fell, and they broke their hip. And I actually watched this happen at another church. Kid ran right in front of this lady. She fell, she broke her hip, and she was in a hospital for months because of some child who was uncontrolled because their parents never taught them respect for age or respect for property. Now, there's a context, though. If they're running a church and it's Friday night where there's a special going on for the kids and all the chairs are out of the sanctuary and they're told to run, run your heart out, kid. See, there's a context to this. It's not thou shalt never run at church. It's there's a context of why we're doing it. Otherwise, you get legalistic. Oh, I know I'm never supposed to run at church. Can't do that. Um, there's a context. We would demonstrate respect for property by demonstrating the absurd by the absurd, by doing the opposite. And uh, I've, I've shared with the other classes in the past where we have a no manners night. 
So we have one night where we go and we write down all the rules of eating at our dinner table. And sometimes we'll say the queen will be eating with us. How do we want to uh, sit? Well, we want to make sure our hands are in our lap. We don't want to put our elbows on the table. We don't talk with food in our mouth. You, you, and we write all those rules down. You don't take your neighbor's food and you know, no uh, burping and you know, whatever those rules are. We write them all down. And then the next night we eat outside and we'd have some like spaghetti and it was no manners. If we wrote the rules down, you could break them. And it was hilarious. I mean, there was just laughing and food all over the place and we're stealing. We'd have to go out for dinner afterwards because we were still hungry. We were laughing so hard. But what did it do? It was a vehicle to show them there's a reason for respect. There's a reason for order. There's a reason for caring. The dog loved it. Dog got a lot of food that night. <laughs> but they still remember that. And their friends, they would tell their friends, their friends wanted to come over to our house. They wanted to be part of the Oweiler family. This goes back to family identity. This is how we built our family, being our kids love being a part of our family because we just did unique things that made us worthy. Oh, other family. We're not the Joneses. We're not the Bessels. We have our own unique identity here. That's all respect for property. Uh, things like slamming doors. I mean, we just, it was unacceptable. Why are you slamming the door to your room? That's not good on that door jam. It's not good on other people having to hear it. So there was a reason behind it. Again, if it's a slamming door, what's in the heart? Of it, and so we want to stop the heart issues. But the vehicle is we, we, this is unacceptable behavior, and we would use those terms with them because we wanted to have um, respect there. Uh, other responsibility: if you borrow something, you borrow your neighbor's lawnmower. I would always go and wipe it down, make it cleaner. That when I got it, when I returned it, I just returned Joe's uh, jigsaw. I borrowed his for a project at home. Well, it was a, the case was dirty. So what did I do before returning? I cleaned out his whole case. He gave it to me dirty. I used it. I appreciate it. I just cleaned it. just You teach your kids to do that and teach them the why behind it. Why are we doing this? Because Joe loaned me his saw. Isn't that cool? I, I didn't have to go out and buy a $150 saw. He let me use his, and I wore the blade a little bit. But he let me do it, so I want to return it in better shape because I want to thank him and respect him, have respect for other people. There's a reason behind it. Okay? Last one is respect for nature. Nature is created by God. Man is called to be a steward of nature. It's around us, and, and we are put here for this. Well, there's a preciousness of others who come behind. That's why uh, you see some kid, and he's walking past a bush. He grabs the edge of the, the bush and goes and pulls it, and, oh, I got a nice pretty little flower of leaves in my hand and, and throws it. Wasn't that pretty? And throws it. You left a tree denuded of all these leaves of this branch. You know, why did you do that? just for your own pleasure, rather than somebody who comes behind you and now they look at this other uh, bush that's like this. Um, great way to teach your kids. Are we just a genetic accident that happened in a pool of slime? No, God created us with, with a unique imprint of him. And that's where you go and you talk about the uh, image of God that all men are created with. That's where you're teaching evolution versus, uh, versus creation. There's a stewardship of the earth, though, so we, we want to care for it. You're out in nature, and, and there's an anthill right there with just a ton of ants. Do you just go and stomp on it to kill them all? Well, this is where they live. If that anthill was in my yard, I would treat it very differently. I would do everything I could to eradicate every one of those ants. But if it's out in the middle of nature, God put them there for a reason. If we didn't have ants on the world, this world would fall apart, I guess, in a very short period of time. They're unique what they do. So there's a reason for it. And I'm not talking, you know, go join a a club of Save the Squid or something strange like that. You know, I'm not talking about activist type of thing. I'm just talking, if God created it, we should care for it. You realize how many college-age kids have grown up and never had any of these things put on their shelves? You know, all these shelves that we're putting, and they never learn that. 
What a shame. How terrible that is. Your kids can actually turn other people's heads because of their way of treating other people and other things. And that is a gospel opportunity. How, why did your kid just pick up that piece of paper in the middle of the forest or walking into, into the grocery store? He picks up a, a, tra- a cup that's sitting there right in the middle of the street and puts it in a trash can. It wasn't his. Why did, why did they do that? Well, it was a preciousness of others coming behind. Those are, that's awesome. So, okay, so we're going to need to continually place these on. I want to real quickly cover the moral search mechanism is what I call it. Moral search mechanism. And this is like a robot. So picture every time something happens in your child's life, there's a robot in his head. And whatever you see on the horizon, whatever he's doing, all of a sudden this robot goes to work. So you're driving down the street and you see a... uh, Oh, you know what? Let me back up a second. I'm going to cover Romans 2. Chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 15 first, because this will kind of set it up for it. Romans 2, 15, we talked about this earlier. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. So the conscience is working now in many different ways. This little robot in their head. And here's the things that it does, and according to Romans 2, what their conscience is doing. First one there is warning. See that word there? Is the, the conscience is there warning. Well, warning against sin. Hey, you're going to sin. You're going to do something wrong. This is not the right thing to do. We're going to see that warning in here. The second activity is prompting. There's a prompting to do right. Hey, here's an opportunity of the right thing to do. The conscience says, you should be doing this. This is what you should do. That's a, a prompting you to make the right choice. Then the third one is an accusing you. An accusing where, you know what? You didn't do right. Look, you did something wrong. It wrong has been done now, you, you did something bad. Or lastly, is excusing. It says now even defending them or excusing. Well, that's a, a confirmation that the right choice was made. And the conscience will do that. When you make the right, picking up a cup, walking across the street that was just trash, that was the right thing to do. Your conscience knows those things. So here's this little robot, and you're driving down the street, and you see a red light. And what, what happens here? Your mind says, red light, what do I need? So little robot goes to work, run up and down the this whole warehouse looking, is there anything on this shelf? Is there anything on that aisle? Anything I need to look at? So it's running down one here that says respect for authority. And it goes down, oh, stop, hey, wait a minute, I found something here. Respect for authority. Red light means I need to stop. Quick, runs the back, little robot brings up, puts it right in the front of the forehead. Hey, I found some. I found some red light up ahead. You need to stop because that's what the government says. Okay, it's now implanted in the mind. The robot, the moral search mechanism, went out into the warehouse that's in their mind and it found something to act upon follow? Okay. You're in the waiting room of a restaurant. You've just come in with your whole family. You've sat down and in walks an elderly person and they're on a cane and they're going to wait too, but there's no seats left. Ah, situation, old lady came in. Do I need to do something? And so the robot goes up and down these aisles, up and down these aisles. Is there anything I need? Here's one. Respect for age. Rise up for the gray hair. If Grant's in the room, you got to stand up. (laughs) Respect for age brings it, puts it right in front. Hey, you're supposed to respect older people. Just heads up, want to let you know that's up there. Okay, mind, what do I do? Ah, you know what? Prompt. I should get up and offer that lady my seat. That's what the conscience does. Is because that was taught into the brain to respect older people and to care for them, ma'am, would you like my seat? See how that works? So that's what the little robot does. This moral search mechanism is always just everything. I mean, you're driving down the street and you don't see anything. You see a billboard. Up, oh, the mind says, should I do anything based upon that? Or you see somebody standing by the road. 
there's all kinds of things that your mind is going to pick up every single second in your life. Um, you're driving, you, know, you just left town, you're going over to Las Vegas for a business trip, you've got a banana, you're eating it, and you're, you just finished and say, okay, I've got to drive the rest of this five hours here with a banana, and you're out past town, there's nobody around, I'm going to unroll my window and throw the banana out the window. Because it's just a peel, it's going to dry in there, it's, it's good for the ground, it'll decompose. So what do you do? Your, your mind goes through this on what to do. Should I do that or not? Is, is there some rule? Is there respect for property? Other people come in behind me? And so your, your mind is going to think about this. We're going to walk through some of these things. And what will happen is your mind in a situation like this, let's just say, well, let's take the banana one. So you're going to throw the banana out the window, but right then your mind sees a sign right up here. It says, littering, fine, $1,000. comes right up in your face. Hey, there's a sign up here, littering. Well, what, what do you do? Okay, that says that I'm going to get fined. So now... If I do litter, there's going to be a consequence behind that. So now I have a cost of it, but I also know, you know what, somebody coming behind me. So there's multiple things that are coming in. More little pieces are being picked off of these shelves, the things that you're supposed to do based upon what you see. And so there's a warning against sin. First, it's you need to respect authority. You need to uh, care about others coming behind you. Now you've got this other sign there. There's your warnings. There's a prompting. You know what the right thing to do is just put up with the smell for a couple hours. I'll stop at a gas station, uh, go to the restroom, I'll get rid of it then. So you put it underneath, you know, just stick, tuck it underneath your, your seat for a minute here. There's a prompting of the right thing to do. Now there's an accusing. You throw it out the window, and all of a sudden you're conscious going, oh, man, I, threw, I hope nobody sees me. What do you do? You look in the mirror. Do I see a cop there? Was there somebody watching me? Because you're now, I did something wrong. My conscience was, was affected here. There was something that, that occurred here. Something has been done wrong. And there's an accusing or an excusing. You know what? You did the right, you did the right thing. You, you stuck it underneath your seat. And right after you were ready to throw it out, you look, and there was an on-ramp, and there was a policeman right there. Okay, I did the right thing. I would have gotten a ticket. But you know what? That sign of the $500 fine, who that's for? That's for the ungodly. That's for those who don't have something on that moral warehouse shelf. There's nothing in there that says that they should respect authority. They should respect other people because they have never been trained on that level. But your heart, because you've been trained to say, I care about other people, says, ah, here's something important, and I want to do this, not because of the fine that I'll get if I, if I don't do it, or if I do it, but instead because it's the right thing to do. Okay? Think of it, what would happen if the situation where you're in a, in a room, uh, a waiting room in a restaurant, and an old person comes in, and you didn't have this trained in your heart. So here's an old lady just standing there, barely able to stand up, and she can't sit down. Because nothing, I, I looked at my radar, nothing came up on my shelf, there's nothing to do. I'm just going to sit here, enjoy myself, and work on my texting or whatever, like, it, it, whatever's going on. Because the conscience had never been trained in that level. That's where we don't want our kids to be. Because they missed an opportunity to really care for somebody and to demonstrate, what? Christ in my heart. So these are the little ways that we can do this. Okay, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, and stop here because the rest of this I think we can cover in two weeks. Um, wanted to remind you that uh, next week Kathy and I will not be here, but we have a special guest speaker, which is Steve. So save questions that you have. Uh, write them down so you're ready ahead of time to be able to ask him some questions. And uh, hopefully some of this will prompt some great discussions in your, uh, your couch time together. Hey, 
Grant talked about this. Let's talk, you know, let's, let's see if there's something we can do to train some of these areas. But look for opportunities. This is the teaching why of your kids. So not just telling them what to do. Now you're telling them the why, which is really fun. Alfredo. I said that you and me that's what it said on the schedule. Oh, no, it's downstairs. Oh, yeah, that's a different Q&A. Thank you. Yeah, that's for, for the Think Biblically class. So he's going to do just a parenting Q&A up here. Yeah, yeah, for you guys.